Placemakers is made possible by J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase is committed to expanding access to opportunity for all people and advancing economic growth in all places. Learn more about their global commitment by going to jpmorganchase.com. Head to the west side of Oakland, California. Walk down 37th Street and you'll pass a house that's been in a near constant state of repair or disrepair for decades. Stephen DiCaprio lives in this wood frame stucco home, but he never bought it and he doesn't pay rent either. Stephen is a squatter. He jimmied open the doors more than 10 years ago and never left. I wasn't looking for some urban camping adventure. I was just trying to not live in my van. According to the law, Stephen now owns this house. And in the process of trying to make this abandoned house his own, Stephen has learned more than most about how to live on a property without paying for it. At this point, I'm an expert on adverse possession law. And when I became homeless, I'd never even heard the word adverse possession. Truth be told, I'd never heard of it either. Turns out adverse possession is a concept that goes all the way back to Roman times. It came to the U.S. legal system via English common law. Basically, it allows someone to assume the title of an unclaimed, abandoned property after a certain period of time. The length of time and the particular circumstances vary from state to state, but adverse possession isn't an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of perseverance. And Stephen DiCaprio says the reason he's succeeded thus far is that his goals are bigger than getting a house for free. Much bigger. Because Stephen DiCaprio wants to change the world. I'm Rebecca Sheeran from Slate Magazine. This is Placemakers, stories about the spaces we inhabit and the people who shape them. Today, the subversive underground of squatters in California. Andrew Stelzer has the story. Here's the house I'm looking for, 871. Hey, how's it going? Stephen DiCaprio's skinny, with thinning hair and a graying beard. He's got his morning cup of coffee in one hand as he holds his dog back with the other. So is this a neighborhood that needs a guard dog? Yeah, um, yeah, this is totally a neighborhood where you need a, a, a dog. I mean, there's like a lot of crime in the neighborhood. Well, before we got him, people would like come into the yard and just try and just like try and grab anything they could to like that was had any value. Um, I got shot, like, a block away. Luckily, it was just a glancing bullet wound, but they shot a muralist. Some guy shot a muralist around the corner. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a rough neighborhood. This part of Oakland has had a lot of beautiful but aging houses that have been home to a largely African-American community since World War II. Stephen DiCaprio's house has been abandoned since at least the early 1980s, maybe even earlier. The last owner of record died in 1983. And when he first entered the house in the early 2000s, it was a wreck. There were no doors. This whole area that we're standing on was a big gaping hole that was fire damaged. The roof was crumbling. There was a tree growing into the roof. Animals had climbed that tree and gone on the branch that was going into the roof and then jumped down, and so there was piles of dead animal carcasses. DiCaprio originally found this house in the early 2000s. At that time, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of vacant, seemingly abandoned older homes in Oakland. Desperate for a place to stay where he might not get evicted, he began hitting the legal books to learn about property law. 
Then he hit the streets with some friends. We went around and we street by street identified abandoned properties. We then went down to the assessor's office and other public agencies to research those properties. We tried to track down the owners and contact them. And after doing all of that, we would enter the properties. And after years of work, DiCaprio has taken total and complete undisputed legal ownership of this house. To understand how he's done this, you've got to dig into the legal concept we talked about at the beginning of this story, adverse possession. Here's how it works in a nutshell. You have to live in the space openly for a number of years, and the real legal owner must not be present or take any action to remove you during that time. When the statute of limitations runs out, in California that's five years, and no one has tried to have you removed, you can legally claim that property is yours through adverse possession. Many squatters don't even know how to pursue a claim of adverse possession, but Stephen DiCaprio is not your average squatter. He pays property taxes and does other paperwork to establish legal residency on the properties he's hoping to acquire. He's spent years doing legal research on property law and advises other squatters and activists. DiCaprio's featured in a 2005 documentary film called Shelter, a Squatchumentary. The filmmakers captured a moment where he negotiated with a police officer on the street out in front of a different house in Berkeley he was squatting in at the time. The cops wanted him out. My question is, is if you don't have evidence in the first place to charge me with trespassing the first time, how can, how can you charge me for something that you guys don't have evidence on? And you can, are you going to keep charging me with something that's not well, like a felony charge? As far as the city is concerned, because you're not your resident, anytime you come here, you'll be inside for trespassing if you're trying to enter the residence. Eventually, the city of Berkeley did arrest DiCaprio, and he was convicted of unlawful entry into a residence. The doors of his squad house were nailed, then welded shut. DiCaprio opened them back up a few times, but eventually he gave up on that property. But another house in Oakland, nicknamed Noodle House, turned out to attract much less attention from the authorities. And that's the house where we met. It is at this point, we can be here, we can enjoy the space, and it feels like home. It doesn't feel like just some desperate attempt at shelter. There are three people living inside the house and two tiny houses in the backyard, each of which is big enough for one person. It's rudimentary living, but it's better than what a lot of people have in the crowded Bay Area. And after years of rebuilding, Noodle House looks pretty nice now. Sunlight streams through the windows and there are lots of house plants. The kitchen is well stocked and the wooden furniture looks warm and homey. But DiCaprio has to use propane tanks for gas, heat, and hot water. He relies on solar panels for electricity. And not because he wants to conserve energy, the electric company refuses to turn on his power until he proves legal ownership of the place. As for those solar panels, they don't quite give him enough juice. We don't have a refrigerator, for example. So we can charge electronic devices, power electronic devices, and have lighting in the house, but not much more. If at this point you're thinking, who is this guy? And how does he have the gall to just take over a random house that belongs to someone else? You're not alone. This is from the files of what? Are you kidding me? 
you were homeless, you trespassed, moved into that house, and then just started paying taxes, and after a certain number of years, that officially, legally, made that place yours? Do I have it right? This is DiCaprio being interviewed in 2013 by CNN's Ashley Banfield. Maybe it's legally okay, but isn't it kind of morally yucky? First of all, um, I'll just let you know how this all began. Uh, DiCaprio thinks of squatting as a political as much as an economic issue. And he says that goes back to his childhood in Fort Walton Beach, a small town in the Florida panhandle. When he was a kid, DiCaprio's parents told him he was adopted. He'd actually been born to Lebanese parents. Fort Walton Beach is right next to an Air Force base, which meant lots of military families lived in town, and the base was a big part of the local economy. DiCaprio wasn't a fan of the military, in part because of his background. The military was involved in killing lots of people in the Middle East, and so I didn't feel like I was part of the community. I gravitated towards other people who were outsiders, and I gravitated toward the punk scene. We, we basically formed our own little punk scene in this small town. I played guitar, and I sang. If you call it, it was more like primal screaming. In 1994, DiCaprio's band, Lesser of Two, went on a U.S. tour. They found places to stay by looking in a publication called Book Your Own Effing Life. It was like a proto-Airbnb for punk musicians to find venues to play, record stores, and free places to crash when on the road. That was when I first came out to the Bay Area, and that's, and I met some people here that I really connected with, and I felt like this was a place that I wanted to be. DiCaprio felt at home in Oakland, and soon after, he moved out here. He worked in vegetarian restaurants, lived cheap, participated in activist movements. Then in 1999, when his band toured Europe, DiCaprio got to play at a bunch of squats, the kind of communities he would come to admire the most. There was a, a squat in um, Switzerland, which had a bar, a movie theater, a garden, a cafe, housing, had a, it had like a laundry room, and there was just, you know, hundreds of people living there. And that was pretty interesting. DiCaprio wondered if the type of elaborate squats and organizing spaces he saw in Europe could exist in the U.S., and it wasn't long before he found out. I only had housing when I came back from that European tour for three months before we got evicted. Things fell apart relatively quickly. This was 1999, the tail end of the dot-com boom. Rents in the Bay Area had been continually rising for years. After his eviction, DiCaprio moved into a stairwell that was available in an activist squat called Hilarity House. And if that sounds bad, it was even rougher for some of his friends. This whole new concept of orbitals came about where people were living in cars and RVs and vans and paying some amount of rent to somebody who had a house or had a warehouse um, so that they would actually have access to a shower and a kitchen, um, even though they were, in fact, homeless themselves in a functional way. 
So all of this stuff was happening. So it was readily apparent to anyone who was paying attention. There was huge economic forces causing massive citywide displacement. People were talking about how do we deal with this and contend with this. This wasn't feeling like a romantic tour of European squats, living out of a van with his bandmates, seeing the world. DiCaprio wanted some sort of stability. Since those early days, DiCaprio spent so much time researching and in court, he's become an expert in adverse possession law. He started an organization called Land Action that helps other individuals and groups in their struggles to occupy land. A lot of people thought that what I was trying to do was totally crazy and that it just couldn't be done. I mean, time and time again, people would say, oh, yes, we know about the squats in Europe, but you can't do that here. Time for a break, but when we get back, how Stephen DiCaprio's kind of activism spread through the country after the financial crash of 2008, and how it's brought up some really complicated questions about who can pursue land action. Hey, I'm Brian Babylon. Placemakers is made possible by J.P. Morgan Chase. Economic recovery is no easy task. In many cities, incomes are shrinking and families and communities are struggling. J.P. Morgan Chase is committed to helping solve the problem. J.P. Morgan Chase is deploying $1 billion towards programs focused on expanding access to opportunities and advancing economic growth around the world. Here is some exclusive content all about their Corporate Responsibility Program in New Orleans. Greg Rattler is a lifetime resident of New Orleans and a relationship executive in J.P. Morgan Chase's Commercial Bank Unit. He explains the core elements of the bank's efforts in the greater New Orleans area. We also continue to assist the city and other stakeholders in revitalizing the housing stock here in the metropolitan uh, New Orleans area. And so we've got a very, very long list of organizations uh, and partners that we work with in the community. But suffice it to say that in addition to physical infrastructure, education, skills training, innovation, and of course, affordable housing stock development are the core elements of what we attempt to do through our philanthropy and our volunteer uh, initiatives. J.P. Morgan Chase is focused on helping all communities. Learn more by going to jpmorganchase.com. From Slate Magazine, it's Placemakers. I'm Rebecca Shear. As we heard before the break, Oakland activist Stephen DiCaprio found great success in pursuing something called adverse possession. And that success made him a bit of a celebrity among Bay Area activists. Then, this happened. When Occupy Wall Street started camping out in New York City's financial district in September 2011, other Occupy protests sprung up across the country, including Oakland, California. But Occupy Oakland wasn't content with a camp in front of City Hall. Activists wanted to take on the housing crisis directly by occupying houses and buildings across the city. And they called on Stephen DiCaprio for advice. I just went in and was like, oh, you want to, you're going to occupy things. You should do some research and I'll show you how to do research. And so I helped a lot of the folks do research. People just were like, didn't even know where to start. How do we know how many 
houses are being foreclosed on. And then I would say, okay, well, you want to go down to the recorder's office because the notices of the notice of default is filed with the recorder's office. And then people got that information, and that was big, a big organizing tool. This was the next step in Stephen's vision, to help create a network of occupied spaces so that activists had an affordable base to work from. Andrew Stelzer picks up our story. After Stephen DiCaprio began holding free legal workshops during Occupy Oakland, he says the number of squats around town doubled from six to about a dozen. I felt that that was proof positive that my vision was actually like a viable vision, which is that, no, we're not going to solve the entire housing problem with occupied spaces, but we can create a organizing infrastructure with those spaces. Some new people were coming into the fold as well. Occupy Oakland was a moment that brought together activist communities that didn't normally collaborate, like anarchist squatters and local black radicals. And those connections, forged under the banner of fighting capitalism, kept going even as the larger Occupy movement fragmented. Uh-huh. Is that hot food on? Is that spicy on there? Is it spicy? Huh? Spicy. Uh, the eggs? Yeah, a little bit. It feels like a little bit of pepper in it. But it ain't, it ain't spicy like that, though. Yeah, you, you should try it. You should try it. It's the weekly Sunday morning breakfast line at Quilombo, a community center on a gritty stretch of Oakland's San Pablo Avenue. Dozens of homeless and other poor people from the neighborhood come by for a heaping plate of home-cooked food. Quilombo is a space focused on activism supporting local black and indigenous communities. Chaga Kwania is one of its organizers. Unfortunately, it's not a lot of sympathy for Africans, you know, African-American type folks, you know, and and brown folks and and Hispanic type folks as well. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of love for us, you know, so we just got to just take the love where we can get the love, you know what I mean? Accept the love where we can get it. A couple of years ago, Quilombo took over a vacant lot next door which they turned into a community garden called Africatown. Van Dells is a volunteer at Africatown, one of dozens of people who've spent hundreds of hours turning this neglected space into a neighborhood jewel. Well, when you walk around, like, there's not that much refuge anywhere. Like, there's no place of calm. If you're houseless, you're just out in the elements all the time and laying on concrete most of the time. Like, and so it's a place where there's just grass, you know, you can slide underneath our huge squash or underneath the sunflowers or wherever and just take a nap. Um, but then you also just, like, see what you would expect from a community garden. You be, see people, like, harvesting the spinach, and they're like, I didn't know spinach didn't come in cans. For people who already feel disenfranchised, having a space to be free, not beholden to anyone, even a landlord, can be really liberating. Dells says although this isn't housing per se, it provides shelter and hope to a community long in poverty and now in the midst of a housing crisis. In 2015, Oakland rental prices were the second fastest rising in the entire country. And like seemingly every other artist or activist space, Africatown is under threat. The property owner essentially just wants to bulldoze the garden and get rid of it to make it more viable for a sale. This lot sits only a few blocks from downtown and on the edge of West Oakland, one of the most rapidly changing neighborhoods in the Bay Area. It's been predominantly black since World War II. 
So when you see development in this area, it's not because they're trying to help people. It's because they're bringing in the new you know, plans and, and, and architecture of gentrification. Like they want there to be condominiums there. They want their, those large LLCs to buy up this block and transform it because, you know, in their eyes, the best way to get rid of crime is to get rid of the people. Stephen DiCaprio has spent some time advising Quilombo on their options for protecting and preserving Africatown. The goal of land action has always been to access land for the purposes of social justice and environmental organizing, to create a network of occupied spaces that are committed to doing that work. I want to be able to get to a point where we have sufficient land, housing, and commercial resources to basically provide an ecosystem for political organizing. And so, yeah, it would be basically a autonomous society within our society. Chaga Kwania attended several of DiCaprio's workshops back during the Occupy days of 2011. He taught us that whole process of like, you know, I mean, checking out what the, what the property, who the owner is. He gave us some game about, you know, obtaining land. Anything you've been able to utilize? I mean, yeah, we've 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 taken over. We took over a few properties for the, you know, for folks in the past, you know, with the information. But it's unclear how well DiCaprio's strategy can work for people who don't look like him. Although he's of Lebanese descent, he can easily pass for white. The man obviously happens, just happened to know law. So, you know what I mean? He was able to slide in where, you know, he was able to slide in cool where though. you could, which is cool. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. But people shouldn't look at that as to be, this is what we can do. This is John, an organizer at Quilombo, who didn't want to give his last name because he's worried the Africatown occupation might end up in court. <laughs> so, so you don't think that adverse possession strategy is... You're saying it's going to win in so rare circumstances. Exactly, yeah, not so rare circumstances. Exactly, that it's not really going to make an impact. And, and, it, and, it, and it works more for, like, lighter-skinned folks than darker-skinned folks. Darker-skinned folks, they're going to be like, oh, y'all trespassing, oh, I'll call the police, we, we, we ain't going to have no sheriff process, no court process. It's just going to be all, oh, you black people get out, oh, yeah, we calling the police. No court dope. process, you know. You know what I mean? So, like, I remember um, when, I first, when we first took over a house, um, we had some white folks go in it and stay in it at first. And just to like let people know in the neighborhood, like, oh, there's some white people that moved in over there. Okay, okay, that house, about time that house has been utilized. And then we just like, all right, y'all, y'all leave now. Now it's time for us to come in. And then, they, then we come in, and it's a little bit more cooler, you know what I mean? Because just like the people already know, there's been people in there. And then when they see the black folks, they probably be like, oh, okay, that's probably somebody here renting to, or what do what do you know? So it's, you know. Strategy. Yeah, so it's usually a little, little bit similar to what went down here. The, the handoff. Exactly, exactly. The handoff. DiCaprio's helping other activists all he can, but he's also dealing with his own business these days. He's facing felony charges for another squad his organization was assisting with. Still, he knows now is a crucial time as the number of vacant properties is dwindling, and these next few years could go a long way to determining what kind of city Oakland will become. I can't save the world. But maybe if I am able to help, you know, 100 people access housing, we could then do something that makes it so that we can create a movement that actually has a viable chance of 
having an impact on our society that is, that is beneficial that would then lead to something down the line. Back at his house, DiCaprio is showing me a bank full of electronics and several giant batteries, each about the size of an old desktop computer CPU. These batteries were salvaged from um, the railroad company. DiCaprio's had help over the past 10 years of painstaking work on this house, but he's been the one constant, while others dropped in and out on the project. And he's a bit tired. He recently lost a longtime job at the California League of Conservation Voters and says now that he's in his 40s, he doesn't want to live without the basics. I'm not like a lifestyle activist. I just want to live in a conventional house. I want a refrigerator. I want a freezer. <laughs> I want a stove that has an oven that works properly. I'd like just the, the amenities that Americans have come to expect. But despite the challenges of living in a semi-legal, semi-functional pseudo-squat in a neighborhood where he got shot and needs a guard dog, DiCaprio says he's grateful. Even with all, all the, like, limitations of this property, it's mine. So it's something that I can never really take for granted. Stephen DiCaprio's battle for legal recognition as owner of his house came to a close just recently. In the end, the Alameda County Superior Court judged that Stephen holds the title free and clear of anyone else's claim. And he hopes to get connected to the electric grid any day now. Our story today was reported by Andrew Stelzer. And special thanks to Marcus Owens for bringing our attention to this story. Placemakers is a production of Slate Magazine and is produced by Mia Lobel, Diana Douglas, and Michael Wolo, and edited by Julia Barton. Our researcher is Matthew Schwartz. Eric Shimalonis does our mixing and musical scoring. Our theme was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer. I'm Rebecca Shear. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Placemakers, go to slate.com slash placemakers. You can drop us a line at placemakers at slate.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Slate Placemaker. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a review or rating on iTunes. It really does help. Coming up next time on Placemakers... Thousands of people in Chicago are arrested and convicted each year. And when they get out of prison, they face a lot of barriers. Barriers that could send them right back behind bars. The struggle was I didn't have nothing to put on a resume, so I didn't think nobody hired me. But my peers encouraged me, go for it. We'll meet an ex-convict who's dedicated his life to beating the revolving door of recidivism. Soundbite. Hey. Ramus ain't racist. Ramus is an equal opportunity human attacker. <laughs> Hey guys, yep, I'm still here. Those of you still around, I want to ask you a small favor. 
here at Placemakers, we want to learn more about you, our listeners, and your opinions. We know you guys have strong opinions, so we created a quick survey that we'd love for you to take. If you fill it out, you'll automatically be entered for a chance to win a $150 Amazon gift card. And you'll be helping us continue to create content that makes your ears and your brain happy. To fill out the survey, go to slate.com slash survey2. That's slate.com slash survey2. Thank you.